This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? It's time to dominate your fantasy league. This is going to go the distance. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. The toughest players to rank for 2022. Four from Jamie, four from Heath. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Football Today. If you want to send us a question, you can email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com, fantasyfootball.com at cbsi.com. That is the letter I. And if you want to see what we look like, you can watch us at youtube.com slash fantasy football today. Good morning, gentlemen. When you look at players who are tough to rank, you know, what do you kind of fall back on? Opportunity, talent, uh, history, or is it case-specific? Heath, when you look at some of the guys, like the players you gave us today are Trey Lance, Ezekiel Elliott, DK Metcalf, and Dallas Goddard. A lot of talent here. Um... What do you fall back on when it comes to players who are tough to rank? I don't like when you mean what do I fall back on? Like, how do I end up ranking them? Yeah, I think so. What ends up being the deciding factor? I, I, it's a blend for me. Um, but I, I think situation and if like it's easier with DK and Goddard and, and Metcalf, maybe because they have at least some history to lean back on with Lance. I mean, it's, it's a lot of guessing. Yeah, Jamie, it was a really bad question, the whole what do you fall back on thing. So uh, is there a common thread in your four players that, that you gave us? Brees Hall, Chase Edmonds, Jalen Waddle, and Marquise Brown. What makes them so difficult to rank? I mean, you have rookie, player on the team, player on the team with new coach, player on the team, or player with new coach with additional mouth to feed, maybe better mouth to feed. Um you know, so yeah, I don't think it's a bad question. It's, it's, uh, you know, and, and you know, you asked for four, you know, I'm sure Heath and I probably could have given you 44, you know, there, yeah. there's, you know, a lot of uncertainty with a lot of players, you know, I mean, I, I think that's why you see, you know, if you really pay close attention to our rankings page, I know Heath is updating his rankings. He doesn't always publish them. Uh, Dave and I change them all the time, you know, in terms of, uh, updating our rankings, you know, so it's, it's an ever-evolving process. I mean, I, I went through, you know, after being away for a week and just thinking about different players, you know, Adam, you and I texted about a few of them um, and, and changed a lot, you know, and, and we'll continue to as things continue to evolve with, you know, rookie camps or rookies reporting now and, and training camp starting, you know. So it's, uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, Brees Hall is one of your guys, and I feel like every running back in the Brees Hall range is, is hard. You know, right. Antonio Gibson, Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins, Elijah Mitchell, um, Josh Jacobs, uh, Zeke. They're just, I mean, Zeke goes ahead of this group, but but it's, it's tough. It's a tough part of the draft, I think, uh, at running back. But uh, all right, if you guys want to give me a headliner here, Heath, how about you go first? Give me the, I don't know if it's the toughest, but one that you want to talk about, uh, one of the toughest players to rank. I think the toughest player to rank is Ezekiel Elliott because if what the Cowboys tell us is true that he just was hurt last year and that's why he was so bad in the second half of the season and if what they're telling us now is true that he's completely healthy we know how much they love him we know how much money they owe him like he could absolutely be a top five running back again but if he was just washed at the end of last year then he could be a high-end flex First four, first five games of the season for Zeke, he scored 17.7 or more PPR fantasy points in four of the five games. I think we all remember the one that he didn't. It was week one against the Bucks, where he was terrible, but that was the Bucks, and everybody's pretty much terrible against the Bucks. Then he went nuts, 17.7, 26.6, 20.3, 25.2 fantasy points per game. Zeke got hurt in week four. He was explosive in the first four or five weeks of the season. 
Uh, he did, you know, he did have those big runs, not huge runs, not 50 yards, but you look at 12 plus yard runs, which is how true media defines explosive runs. He had a lot of them early and then it just stopped. So I think it's easy to conclude that the injury had something to do with it. But then again, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's an older guy. He's going to be 27 years old. He is 27 years old, I think, sometime this month. And yeah, he is, he is tricky. Uh, is he ahead of uh, that, that group I was talking about, Heath? The Brees Hall, Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins group? I have him ahead of all of those guys. He would not, in full PPR, be ahead of Etienne if we found out James Robinson was going to miss the start of the year. He would not be ahead of J.K. Dobbins if what J.K. Dobbins tweeted yesterday is true, and he's certain to be ready for week one. Um but yeah, he, he's in that group, but at the front of it for now. And I think it's hard to argue that those guys have more upside than he does. Jamie, who's the toughest player for you to rank or one of the toughest? I mean, you go with the two Dolphins um, for different reasons. But, uh, you know, I keep waiting to find out what's the status of Raheem Mostert because that will impact Chase Edmonds um, to a degree. I think Edmonds is the one you want to draft first. And they keep moving him up because of some of the guys around him. But... I'm not comfortable with it from the standpoint of he's really struggled as a feature back. He's better used, I think, as more of a complimentary back. I don't think he's going to be a true feature back with the Dolphins because whether it's Mostert or Michelle or both of them, they're going to get touches and carries. And so Edmonds has the most upside because this might be his best opportunity. And that's saying a lot because he went into last year with a huge opportunity. But the guy behind him, I think, is more proven in Arizona last year than the guys behind him now in Miami. So we'll see how things go for Mostert and for Michelle. But, you know, you always look at certain situations. And this was the first running back signed in free agency. This was a team that we know is going to bring a better run-based system than they had last year because that's what Mike McDaniel does and certainly hopefully carries over from their time in San Francisco. Better offensive line, better offense in general. So Chase Edmonds has a ton of upside, but uh, still makes me a little nervous to keep moving him up based on what I think he's going to do based on the guys around him. In nine games with double-digit carries, Chase Edmonds has averaged 13.6 non-PPR and 17.7 full PPR fantasy points per game. Those numbers in 2021, those per-game numbers would have made him number eight per game in both formats. So in nine games with double-digit carries, he's been a top 10 caliber running back. You know, it hasn't always been pretty. He has scored some touchdowns. He's not necessarily blowing the doors off of it when, when he's, you know, running the ball. Um, and there's that one game, the first of those games, which was week seven in 2019 when he scored over 30 points against the Giants. He hasn't been nearly as good uh, since then, but he's, you know, he's pretty good when he gets to th- that work, and he usually is only getting about 12 carries. He's not getting more than 12 carries in most of those games, but uh, I guess four of the nine, but five of them he had uh, 12 or fewer carries, I think. So, um, yeah, anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. I guess there, there just seems like there's been some hesitation by previous coaching staff. Well, the previous coaching staff to use him in that role unless there's been an injury. And that brings us to our unofficial stat of the day. It's, it's pretty close to official, but uh, might be a little bit off. But the bottom line is Tua Tungavailoa in two seasons has not really thrown to his running backs. In 2021, running backs had a 14.2% target share. All running backs on the Dolphins from Tua Tungavailoa, 14.2% target share. Thank you to Heath for helping me with that stat. And in 2020... There were two games where Tua got replaced by Ryan Fitzpatrick. I took those out. Just the games that he started and finished. Running backs at a 15.4% target share. So around 15% each of the last two seasons, Heath. That's running back target share from Tua Tungabailoa. How does that measure up? It's bad. Definitely bottom third of the league. Probably close to bottom five most years. And if you look at the Dolphins and how they ranked as a team in that regard. They were around 17%, so it's pretty obvious the other guy was throwing to running backs more than Tua was. Uh, Mike McDaniel's offense in San Francisco has been around 20% the last three seasons. So, listen, we see a lot of times with younger quarterbacks that as they develop, they throw, they dump the ball off a little bit more than they have in the past. I would expect we're going to see Josh Allen this year dump the ball off a little more than he has in the past based on the changes they've made. So I don't think we should lock Tua's first 700 pass attempts in as he's just not going to throw to his running backs. And he's not as mobile as a lot of the other guys who don't. So I do still, still think there's some hope, but... I had the team projected at a 19% running back target share. I, I may pull back one, one mm-hmm. 
or two points. Yeah, I, lo- I love it when the stat of the day changes the projections. I, it makes me feel like I've accomplished something. It's 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 a little strange though. Like when you look at system versus player, because like we talk about this a lot with Russell Wilson, right? You didn't throw to his running backs in Seattle. How much of that was the offense? How much of that was him? Right. Uh, how much of this is Tua? How much of this was the offense? And the offense in San Francisco is a little weird when you look at the running backs because they they didn't have a lot of receptions from their feature guy. But what do we know about the 49ers running backs under Kyle Shanahan? The feature guy changed every year. And so Carlos Hyde in the first year with Kyle Shanahan, I think he was over 40 catches. Um, and that continued to slide. You know, you factor in Kyle Juszczyk and what they did with their fullback. And so how much of it was a running back position? How much of it was, the again, the, the feature guy, what we like to consider the feature guy? Um, and then you look at the caliber of running backs that they had. Elijah Mitchell doesn't profile like that. Jeff Wilson doesn't profile like that. You know, these, these, these type of running backs that they've had there. And so Chase Edmonds is certainly much more of a pass catcher. But again, how much of that now is going to be on Tua? So we'll, yeah. we'll find out, um, you know, what they do. And again, this kind of t- ties into Jalen Waddell, you know, and, and like Dave was talking about this, I think uh, last week or the week before, uh, well, it had to be the week before, um, in regards to, you know, Waddle still being a high volume receiver because of what the run game and the pass game extension will look like. And so that's what makes me a little bit concerned about Waddle and Edmonds is that how many receptions will Jalen Waddle continue to have, Tyreek Hill continue to have uh, with a short area passing game? Will that take the ball out of throwing the ball to Edmonds, for example? I think the weird thing is that Tua hasn't really thrown to his running backs much at all, and his ADOT, or whatever you want to call it, his intended air yards for pass attempt, is so low. It was one of the lowest in the NFL last year, averaged seven yards uh, per attempt. Not not seven yards, well, no, seven yards air yards per attempt. Sorry, seven air I, yards. I think per that's time. something, though, you could see with both the 49ers and with the Dolphins. Like when you have wide receivers running routes yeah. two yards from the line of scrimmage, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have a running back running around out there either. Right. Also. So, so maybe, I don't know, maybe this opens things up for Chase Edmonds if we get a little bit more depth from Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. But uh, it's also, we'll you know, just, just to wrap it up, I think from Edmonds' standpoint, this is probably the best system he's going to run in. And so does that allow him to maybe improve and, and show some things that are a little bit different as a rusher? Hope so. And you, you know, I hope the offensive line is better. You know they're going to be much better at oh, left tackle. Better. Yeah, but are they going to be better as a run-blocking offensive line? I don't know. And uh, so, I That's mean, they will, they will be. Fit. They will be. But it's still, even with Teron Armstead, or is, it a, is it an above-average offensive line? Is it good enough? It's probably good enough, hopefully. Uh, he's going, Chase Evans is going after the Seahawks running backs, just ahead of Melvin Gordon. And he's going in the 90s. Is that too late for Chase Edmonds? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Would you rather have Chase Edmonds or Tony Pollard? Edmonds for me. Uh, Edmonds as of now, but that could change depending on Mostert's health. Okay. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's do some news and notes here. Why is my phone beeping? Can you hear my phone? It's on vibrate and it's still beeping. Well, we got we got uh, good news that we could share at some no, point. No, yeah, later. we can't share it now. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got good news. We'll share it at some point. Uh, news and notes is big, big stuff on J.K. Dobbins. Big stuff on you know, literally on Leonard Fournette. But before we do that, I want to tell you we have a live mock draft coming up today at 1 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube.com/slash Fantasy Football Today. Be there. It is a non-PPR mock draft, and we don't do a ton of these. So if you're in a non-PPR league, bring it on. If you're not in a non-PPR league, it's still the draft's going to be, you know, it's going to be different, but still plenty of things that you can learn from it. So Tara Roberts, we're going to talk about players. Us. Yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about players. And I love your questions um, because, you know, we don't want to have the same conversations all the time. So we need you there to ask us good questions, bring up interesting topics. And that will be at youtube.com slash fantasy football today at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you miss it, you can catch it on demand. And by the way, vote for us, podcastawards.com. Okay, I'll give you a break from that. Best male podcast host. (laughs) Well, obviously. (laughs) Uh, news and notes. The Bucks coaches. Oh wait, Heath, you got a point. Tell them where to tell them where to draft. What? Oh, the other. <laughs> oh yeah, point I'm to. Not, I'm not. I'm never up here. I'm always at the bottom. Scan the QR code. There you go. Uh, Tampa Bay coaches were not happy with Leonard Fournette skipping OTAs and then showing up for the mandatory mini camp. Overweight, very overweight, according to well, that's my editorializing. Sorry, overweight, according to Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. 
But yeah, he's wasn't a good start to the off season. I don't know what he weighs right now, but uh, what? Jamie, is this a is this a big deal? Does this knock Leonard Fournette out of the second round if you're drafting today, which we are? I mean, I hope it does in the leagues I'm in. You know, I I, I these, this is going to be one of these stories that we're going to see. You know, there, there's there's a handful every off season. Last year, we know one of the big ones was Jonathan Taylor and the injuries around him, and that dropped his price, and he was fantastic. Uh, this is another one that's going to continue to probably linger a little bit. You know, it happened a little bit sooner because it was mini camp as opposed to training camp. But uh, two things. One, you should still draft Fournette in the second round if you believe in him. But also, it, 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 it will drive up the price of Rashad White. And so if you're out on Rashad White, that's good for you. But if you're in on Rashad White and he doesn't go up, then that, he's still a guy that I, I'm targeting as well. Because not, not with the, the report about Fournette being overweight, but if Fournette does get hurt, I think Rashad White is the, is the guy that's going to step in and play well. So one thing that I thought was interesting, didn't realize, the Buccaneers the last two seasons... With Brady, they've been 29th and 31st in rush attempts. And they've had 13 and 14 running back rushing touchdowns, which isn't great. And Leonard Fournette, you know, his 17-game pace in his first 13 games, he left one he left week 15 with an injury. He only averaged 13.2 carries per game, but he was on pace for 81 catches. And we saw it two seasons ago. When you had two guys splitting the work really was not good for fantasy. So even though this has been a great offense, what really boosted Leonard Fournette was the catches because he didn't really rank up, up there, you know, 13 and a half carries per game, 13.2 carries per game. That's really nothing special. He didn't score a ton of rushing touchdowns either. So my point is, you know, if if it's not Fournette or if they split it, this is, is a bit of a warning sign to me. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but you kind of need... And every down back, based on on the way they've distributed the touches the last two seasons. If you don't have an every down back in this backfield, I don't think you're going to have a fantasy starter. Not a consistent one. Low end number two. That's, that's I don't fair. know. I mean, I think his the passing game role is so important here. Well, you know, yeah, you, I know. But if, let's say it's Rashad White, and then they say, okay, well, Gio Bernard is going to get the passing. You know what I mean? If they don't give him all I of mean, the work. I mean, we felt for Gio Bernard, This this is what was huge for Fournette last year is that we fell for the Gio Bernard signing in that this was going to be the new James White, the new Danny Woodhead, the new Kevin Falk, the guy that Brady's going to lean on. And he barely played when he was healthy and he, and he's had a hard time staying healthy. No, I'm sorry. So I'm saying if it's not Fournette, then if you, if you, if it's not Fournette, if he gets hurt or he gets benched or something like that, might be Keyshawn Vaughn, right? Be Keyshawn Vaughn. If they split up the carries, they don't run the ball enough. And if they have a, a just a passing downs I, guy, they don't run the ball enough. I to, don't know that we should expect a committee just because right now all we've seen is that Leonard Fournette's the only running back that Tom Brady trusts, and so he's the only one who gets to play very much. It's probably just going to be one guy, <laughs> Tom Brady. Like he doesn't trust well, I, any of the other three right now. And 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 last year Keyshawn Vaughn was that guy when Fournette was out. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I did think it was interesting that they that they don't run the ball. I guess I didn't really realize that. 31st and 29th think, in rush attempts last two seasons. I think the thing, you know, to keep in mind, there, there's a few factors here. One, they may be down Godwin for X amount of weeks, potentially, which means without Godwin, without Gronk, do they run the ball a little bit more? You know, Maybe, um, yeah. I, would, I would say no, but it's a possibility. Uh, there's a new head coach, you know, so we'll see what Todd Bowles wants to do by comparison to what, Bruce did. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek sort of because we know that Brady is probably the one calling plays with Byron Leftwich uh, as well, as opposed to Todd Bowles maybe having any involvement in the offense at all. Uh, but they also lost two offensive linemen, you know, so keep that in mind too. You know, they're they're replacing two guards. Yep. So their offense might not be as potent from a standpoint of what they want to do, how they want to do it, how they want to get accomplished. A lot of changes for, you know, this Bucks offense right now. I'm going to guess they're going to be fine, but, you know, there, there are some things in play here. J.K. Dobbins tweeted that he may not even go on the pup list, and he is confident he's going to be ready. Well, you got to tell the whole story because he just dunked on Ian Rappaport. Yeah, Ian Rappaport. Well, That's part of my note here. Ian Rappaport said that J.K. Dobbins may not may not be ready for Week One, and Dobbins was not defi- He was defiant. He said he'll be ready for Week One. Yeah, you should read the quote. Like most of the Twitter football doctors have 
been very worried about J.K. Dobbins' recovery. And most of them are just speaking in general generalities about people who have multiple ligaments damaged and how much longer that takes. And I, it's the what Rep said sounded more Rapport said more like he was talking to those Twitter football doctors. And I don't think Dobbins appreciated that. I don't. I don't. I don't think Rapsheet was doing that. I think he was probably speaking to a source with the team. Um, would be my guess. Uh, and to be fair, for what he he said was was more about week one, which is still what a month away, month and a half away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A month and a half. So there's there's a lot of time for him to be ready for week one. Now Dobbins' reply was. I don't, I don't even expect to go on the pup list, but Baltimore is going to be very, very cautious with him. I don't care what Dobbins thinks or wants to do. They're not going to rush him out there if he's not ready to go. He says, I'm damn sure I'm going to be ready for the season opener. And meanwhile, I still don't know what the deal is um, with Gus Edwards. And I'm wondering if we should be drafting Mike Davis late. Um, in that clip, um, Rep said that Gus Edwards seemed more likely to be ready than Dobbins. Okay, well then Gus Edwards is a huge steal. What did I say? He was going 160th or something I like that. I just don't know. Like what? What do you think the upside and touches for Gus Edwards is? 15 a game? Oh, we, oh with gosh. a healthy Dobbins? No. If Dobbins is out, I, I mean, mean we've already seen that. We saw that they're not going to throw it to him two years ago. And uh, he, you know, I'll, I'll give you the numbers because th- this is the same thing we He's talked five about. Five yards to carry last year. Gus Edwards, the week before the season started, was a second round pick last year. In 2019, was it 2019? It was the end. He was the starting running back. Ah, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I will find it. Uh, I'll go, I'll come back to me. But remember, in 2019, he had a long stretch where he was with rookie Lamar Jackson, the starting running back. So in 2019, he had one game with more than 14 2018, carries. I'm sorry. Okay. 2018. 2018, it was, look at this stretch here. It was a seven-game stretch. He averaged 17.4 carries per game. He averaged 5.4 yards per carry. He only scored two touchdowns. He was on pace for 296 carries, 1,588 yards, five touchdowns, and only two catches uh, in 17 games. But he did average 17.4 carries per game. That was with rookie Lamar Jackson taking over and Gus On Edwards. On a terrible team. Yeah. And so Gus he could Edwards. have like... They, no, they actually went 6-1 and one in those games. Sorry. Go oh, ahead. they did? Yeah, well, they, they turned it on late. Yeah. No. Go ahead, Heath. He, he could have Damian Harris upside for the period of time that J.K. Dobbins was out. He's a steal of his ADP. Oh, yeah, right. 160, right? So crazy. He was on the board uh, when we did our show yesterday, and then by the time I got, I got up again, he was off the board in my Scott Fishbowl League because, you know... Who did you end up taking? Who did I take? Oh, uh, I think Tyler Higby. It was like round 15. I don't, I don't remember that pick, but... Uh, no, you know what? I think I took James Robinson. James Robinson lasted a really long time. Then I took Tyler Higby after that. Uh, one more note, not a huge deal, but Rams defensive tackle Bobby Brown suspended six games for violating the PED policy. He is depth for them, and I'm sure he will be missed for those six games. We will take a quick break. We'll be back to talk more about the toughest players to rank. Trey Lance, uh, DK Metcalf, who else? Dallas Goddard, Brees Hall, Marquise Brown, Jalen Waddell. We'll get more into him when we come back on Fantasy Football Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles... Chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Trey Lance played two and a half games last season. In one half against the Seahawks, he scored 24.4 fantasy points, and that was in six point per passing touchdown leagues. In one start against the Cardinals, only 14.6 fantasy points, but he did rush for 89 yards. And then in his second start against Houston in week 17, he scored 23.1 fantasy points. So pretty good in the limited playing time he had. And Heath, he is one of your toughest players to rank. Could you see him getting into the top 12? Unlikely, without an injury to one of the guys in the top 12. Um, like I could see him, let me clarify, I don't see him getting into my top 12 quarterbacks in the rankings. I could absolutely see him finishing in the top 12. That's why he's so difficult. He sorry. could finish as a top three quarterback. I meant the rankings. The way that he yeah. runs with... Just to clarify. I meant the rankings, yeah. Just to clarify the question. Um, with with the way that he runs and the weapons that he has around him and the things that Kyle Shanahan's system has done for quarterbacks in the past in terms of passing efficiency, there's every reason to hope that he could be a top three to five quarterback this year. It's also pretty scary for me just because of how little we've seen Trey Lance play football, not just last year, but really against good competition ever. And the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster. I wonder, is this a guy that you're going to have to end up reaching for and, yes. be, okay, and be okay with it because you can still fall back with a good option? Uh, but you might have to take him sort of ahead of his ADP. because The problem just, I have got is so much that I, I have a hard time taking him ahead of Fields. And he always goes several, a couple rounds before Fields, it seems like. Jamie, you don't have that problem. You have him 15th and you have Fields 19th. Yeah, I, I, I don't have that problem at all. Um, I, I think there's so much more upside for Lance based on the team that he plays for and the offense. It's not about a talent thing for these two. It's just about situation. Um, and I, I think if Lance does, I, I, I said this, I don't know, two weeks ago or so, um, the minute Garoppolo is traded and I don't have to worry about that anymore, Lance will be in my top ten. Uh, there, there's the chance for him to be this year's, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, you know, the guy that we have some concerns, questions about that ends up having that breakout season. I, I think he's next in line for that. So uh, you said it, Adam. There, there's very easy scenarios. Uh, I, I know you do this a lot in our drafts, which is the only reason I criticize you because you do it in our drafts. Um, but if you know your league is taking two quarterbacks, or more importantly, if you know your league is not taking two quarterbacks, it's very easy, or, or the majority of managers are taking two quarterbacks. Um, in a one QB format, it's very easy to take Lance and then come back and get a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr or maybe even a Matthew Stafford or Aaron Rodgers and have your concerns about him failing, which are legitimate, um, making you feel a lot better about that. You know, and it's not just necessarily those guys. I mean, you can still take, you know, the the lesser uh, ceiling, lower ceiling type of guys, you know, Tua, Trevor Lawrence, um, Justin Fields, you compare these guys together. Uh, Lance is a league winner if he if he's if he's able to get this job and build off what he showed us last season. Yeah, I know it's small sample size. I'm gonna do the math one more time just to make sure I'm not wrong. Forty one plus eighty nine plus thirty one over ten quarters times four. That's sixty four yards per game times seventeen. That's almost eleven hundred rushing yards based on the ten quarters that he played as a as a quarterback and not a gadget player. You know, on pace for 1,095 rushing yards per 17 games. How are you not going to be a must-start quarterback if you're running that much? And that's what he did in college in the one year that he played, basically. He ran for 1,100 yards. So I, it's just, you know, he would have to be so bad passing the ball. It's it's almost exactly, as long as Garoppolo's on the roster, the Hurts conundrum from last year because that, that was the whole argument against Hertz was well he could be so bad passing the ball that he could lose his job yeah that's true but this is a position I think where you're not as worried about guys losing their you job you swing for the fences in this position yeah 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 alright let's do we did Zeke how about uh, how about uh, DK Metcalf 
Heath, what makes DK Metcalf difficult to rank? Uh, he's an elite wide receiver playing with Drew Locke and Geno Smith on a team coached by Pete Carroll. <laughs> it's uh, everything about DK I love and everything about his situation I hate, including the fact that he's still going to share with Tyler Lockett. Lockett's not going to go away. So a low volume, low efficiency pass offense where I think it's unlikely he gets to that 30% target share that would make him invincible. It's uh, it's really scary, but it's also it's hard to like look at a guy who runs and plays like he does and looks like he does and say, yeah, it's a dumb pick in round four. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to take him in round four, yeah. but look at him. <laughs> I, I was also reading uh, the PFF, Pro Football Focus, offensive line rankings for the season, and they tier them. They rank them and they tier them, but 32nd and in the last tier was the Seahawks. So that's another thing that's a little scary for him. Uh, it's so I mean, the only hope with that would be that their offensive line's so bad that they can't run the ball and they eventually yeah. just have to throw it 35 times a game. Tell me if this matters to you. It, I won't even say how I feel about it, but I, it just seems like I don't want to <laughs> pick and choose because I like Metcalf. I don't want to pick and choose who I do these times, kinds of stats with. But in the first eight games of the 2020 season, you know, Russell Wilson was throwing for 307 yards per game. He was on pace for over 5,200 yards and 63 touchdown passes in 17 games. Russell Wilson was on fire. That was the 2020 season first eight games. Uh, DK Metcalf averaged 98.5 yards per game with extraordinary quarterback play. If you remove those games from his career, he's averaging 52 yards per game, I think. If you remove his rookie season and just look at, at the year and a half since those eight <laughs> games, he's averaging 58 yards per game. No, 59 yards per game. If you take off his left arm. Sorry. it was No, but this is... Okay. If you take away those eight games for his career, it is 58 yards per game. The the 25 games he's played... for 62 yards per game. Yeah, but, but the thing is, like, I'm, he had incredible quarterback play for those eight games. Lockett is a problem. I mean, Lockett gets so many targets, so it's not even like he's on a, this bad passing offense and he's a total target hog. But I struggle with him too, Heath, for, for, because, God, he's so good, and he can still score those touchdowns. Jamie, is he hard for you? Is uh, hard to rank DK Metcalf? Tremendously hard, yeah. Uh, this was one of the guys. He, Heath answered your question first when you asked us <laughs> guys to rank. He was the first one that came to mind. Mm. Um, you know, you look at the games because this is the, 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 the small sample size without Russell Wilson last year. And it's so weird because he had the two touchdown game against Jacksonville in week eight. Uh, but that was on six targets. He had six catches for 43 yards. The weird game is the New Orleans game when he had the huge touchdown, uh, two catches for 96 yards and, and the score on five targets. And then he had seven targets, six catches, 58 yards in week six against Pittsburgh. So they, you know, you're, you're looking at six targets per game. If, if that's kind of the, the, the focal point oh, there, God. Uh, huh? <laughs> that would be terrible. Six right. targets per game. Right. Uh, two of those, he had two six catch games. But that's not, you know, I, I think something you can expect, that high of a catch rate uh, with Geno Smith. It'd be worse, in my opinion, if it's Drew Locke because of what we've seen from Drew Locke. And then, sure, he scored three touchdowns over that. But one of those, again, was a broken tackle by, I think it was Lattimore in the Saints game. Um, and then scoring twice against Jacksonville. So he's got still the upside to, you know, outperform his quarterback play. But it's just so concerning based on the quarterback play. And so for the most part, I'm typically out on him in our drafts. You know, Dave has been the one that usually reaches for Metcalf, uh, taking him in round four. I think he's starting to get uncomfortable with that. I don't want to speak for him, but it feels like every time he reviews his teams for us, that's kind of the, the sentiment. Um, he, he's certainly a round five pick for me at this point. And, you know, I, I continue to, to drop him. You know, he's barely in the top 24 for me right now. Do you think this feels realistic 1038 yards nine touchdowns is that too many yards yes i'd go under on the touchdown okay i've got him at 1058 and seven that feels closer i would still probably go under on the touchdowns too because here's the thing jalen waddle had a thousand fifteen yard the the numbers i gave you originally were hunter renfro but if you think the touchdowns are too high so we'll go to waddle thousand fifteen yards and six touchdowns and he was a top 12 receiver, but only in PPR because he had 104 catches. Right. Yeah, Metcalf, he's just not going to be a high catch guy probably unless he just changes his profile, runs shorter routes. 
Where did so where did Waddle finish? Waddle finished twentieth in non PPR. He only played sixteen games, but probably about that in per game too. Okay, uh, would you rather have Deontay Johnson or DK Metcalf? Deontay Johnson. Deontay. Darnell Mooney or DK Metcalf? Mooney. Right now Metcalf, but that's close. McLaurin or Metcalf? McLaurin. McLaurin. Lockett three rounds later or Metcalf? Uh, Lockett three rounds later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final guy for Heath is Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard. Here are the his combination of a dot and catch rate is really really impressive. He had a seventy three point seven percent catch rate last year. Here are the tight ends who had a higher catch rate than Goddard in twenty twenty one. Minimum fifty targets. Uzama, Gerald Everett, Fryermuth, Fant, Kittle, Dalton Schultz. None of them had a higher a dot than Goddard. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a stat that combines the two stats, but it's you know look the logic here if you're not big on these stats it's easier to catch a high rate of your targets when you're running shorter routes for a tight end he does not run short routes he runs you know he's got a pretty high a dot for a tight end and he still has one of the highest catch rates it's really impressive um and that's two years in a row where he's where he's done that so what is difficult for you to rank is, is it just like you think he's really good but you don't love the situation what's the deal with goddard here well i mean part of it's what happened last year after Ertz was gone he was on a thousand yard pace after Ertz left as a tight end, which is incredible, had 92 yards in the playoffs, but he didn't score hardly any touchdowns. Now, as a rule, I'd just say touchdown regression is coming. Dallas Goddard's going to be a steal because people are not drafting him high enough. But A.J. Brown got added. And so how that impacts Goddard and how it impacts the offense in terms of how much they throw is really a bit of a mystery because if they just go to like 520 pass attempts this year, and Brown mostly impacts the wide receiver targets, then there's 100% a path for Dallas Goddard to be the number three tight end in fantasy this year. Oh, wow. That uh, 520 pass attempts, that what you said? Yeah. And that would be what? In terms well, of- if he keeps the same target share and A.J. Brown just impacts the wide receivers, as we've talked no, about. No, I'm sorry. How much? That's toward the bottom in pass attempts, middle? Oh, yes. Yeah, there were only, I think, two teams below 500 last year. Okay. 520 is 31 pass attempts a game. Do you see that potential for him, Jamie? A top three tight end? The number three tight end for Goddard? I think it would probably take some injuries for that to happen or just an obscene amount of touchdowns. But, you know, I think it's so funny with Goddard because I'm, I'm excited about him to, to an extent. Like, there's the clear top five. I think Schultz is the bridge to the next group. Um, he's closer to the top five, but I think he's still the bridge guy. And then you get to the next two, in my opinion, are, are Goddard and Hawkinson. Those are two that I struggle with of who's the better option of the two. Um, but it feels like we keep making excuses for Goddard. Um, Zach Ertz is still there. Then Zach Ertz is gone. Oh, they run the ball too much. And, in, you know, now A.J. Brown is here. Is, is How much of that is going to impact? How much better is Devontae Smith going to be? How much does Jalen Hurts run? Um, but I do think that Sirianni comes from the Frank Reich, system i think that system that wants to lean on their tight ends i think goddard is is clearly going to be in the top three of of targets for this team and i hope this is the year that he can get to that excuse me that eight touchdown range i think this is the year he can get to hopefully you know north of 800 yards um he's got that that potential he's just got to finally fulfill it but we can't keep making excuses for him anymore he's finally got to start to deliver and would you right now would you take hawkinson or goddard Got it. Uh, I, this is one I go back and forth on every time I even look at my projections. But I think right now I have Goddard higher. And in a non-PPR or a half-PPR league, would you take Goddard over Schultz? No. I would. Okay. All right, let's take a look at the guys that Jamie finds difficult to rank. Let's start with Brees Hall. Yeah, big mystery here. What are you trying to find out in training camp? What do you want to see or read about Brees Hall that'll give you some more confidence in where you're going to rank him? I mean, that he's definitely dominating the workload ahead of Michael Carter, that they're going to throw the ball to him and use his, you know, pass-catching skills. Um, Zach Wilson being better, offensive line staying healthy. There are a lot of questions, you know. And so um, 
you've noted this. There's typically a rookie running back that has a, a, a phenomenal season. Um, he, he should be that guy. Uh, I hope he's that guy. But it's a matter of not necessarily, you know, ranking him as, as a safe RB2 option because <clears throat> I don't know if you want to use the word safe, but, you know, when you, you mentioned it, the group that he's around, uh, him versus Zeke, him versus ETN, him versus Jacobs and Gibson. Um, you know, he's in that mix of guys. I hope he's better than all of them, but, you know, I still have my concerns. So, um, yeah, there's there, there's some questions that I'm looking to see get answered in training camp for sure, preseason game. And first off, we just need him to report. I believe yeah. today is the day he's supposed to, and he's officially now a holdout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brees Hall, get, get in there, buddy. Uh, we have had a top 12 rookie running back in six of the last seven seasons. And we've had at least two top 17 rookie running backs in seven straight seasons. That's in non-PPR. That might that streak might end this year. Two top 17 rookie running backs in seven straight seasons in non-PPR. Um, but, you know, actually, two of the last three years, the rookie running backs have been a bit disappointing. 2019, Josh Jacobs and, and uh, Miles Sanders... We're good, but they didn't finish top 12. And last year, you had Najee Harris, who was great, but Javante Williams was number two, and he did not finish in the top 15, and he wasn't top 20 per game. Uh, so I, don't, I hope that's not a trend. But the rookie running backs are often tremendous values. If they can get the workload that they, that they need, they're just phenomenal values. Um, you know, is Michael Carter a big obstacle for him? Carter was, was pretty good last year. Is he a big obstacle, you think, or just kind of a minor hiccup on, along hiccup. the way? Okay. Hiccup. In between, I think. But they clearly felt they needed an upgrade. You know, this wasn't uh, the... They talked about trading back into the first round to get him. Uh, do you think the Jets have a average offense this year? Yes. But, the, you know, Wilson Wilson's going to determine that. Zach Wilson. Not bottom here. five but below average, we might guess. Okay. Talked about Chase Edmonds already. Uh, well, let me ask a few more Brees Hall questions real quick. Would you rather have Brees Hall or Josh Jacobs? Uh, Brees Hall. Jacobs for now. Brees Hall or Gibson? Hall. I go back and forth, but I'm going to lean Gibson for now. Okay, on to Jalen Waddle, and then we'll finish with Marquise Brown. So... I guess you you like Waddle better than Brown. I like Brown better than Waddle in uh-huh. non PPR. Waddle better than Brown in PPR and half PPR. Oh gosh, I hate this Jalen Waddle situation. He's just he would be ordinarily one of my favorite breakouts with that kind of rookie season, <laughs> and yep. we didn't even see his real potential unleashed until kind of later in the year because the guy he was just catching a lot of short passes and piling up the catches, and he wasn't doing what he does best, which is run away from people. He is a speed demon, a big play maker, and they bring in Tyree Kill, and it's just, you just don't see, like I said, you just don't see these rookie-wide receivers who have you know big rookie years get that kind of added competition, and it happened for Waddle, and it happened for Devontae Smith, and that's really annoying. So I share your frustration, Jamie. I'm sure everybody does. Uh, I think the last time we spoke about Jalen Waddle, though, we kind of said that we weren't taking him at his ADP, which was sort of the end of round four, because we felt the upside was limited. Do you, do you feel that way? Totally. And I'm glad that it's the end of round four, because in some cases it was in round three still when we were first talking about this. So, look, he, he was the guy last year, and he was the guy with Parker missing time. He was the guy with, you know, Gusecki kind of in a weird role. Um this system, the only thing that really I think can save him, aside from maybe an injury to Tyree Kill, save him from not being, um, save him from that he can still be worth drafting in, in the round four range, is what this system usually has done for players once they get the ball in their hands. Yeah. You know, and so he's dangerous. I mean, he's he, he's got so much. I mean, that's the fun part about this offense. Like, I can't wait to see. Um, I believe uh, I was on a radio show yesterday. They asked me about the over-under, and I don't want to misquote it, but I think it was under 1,000 yards. Um, I think he could still be 1,000 yards here. I think both guys can still be 1,000-yard receivers. That's asking a lot of Tua, but I think it's possible because of the system. 
but I don't think it's going to be much over a thousand yards. I'm curious, Heath, what you have both Tyreek and Waddle projected for. But I think, you know, when you just look at these two guys in particular, A, there's the chance of an injury to either one, which I think would make the another guy, the, the, the healthier one, top 10. Um, but if both stay healthy, I just think they're going to cannibalize each other enough because I don't think there's going to be enough touchdowns in this offense. And that's the problem. And so Waddle's not getting 140 targets if Tyreek's healthy. He's probably getting closer to 100. Um, maybe 120 tops. And so can he still be as successful with that number with Tua? Yeah, I think I think I'm the outlier probably in terms of the projections on these two because I actually right now have Tyreek and Waddle projected for the same number of targets. Um, I, like I do think the other thing that could save Waddle is his relationship and rapport with Tua and the fact that apparently Tyreek was unhappy playing on the Chiefs last year because he wasn't getting the ball enough or wasn't getting the ball in a way that he wants to. And that type of discontent could manifest itself very quickly in this situation if things don't go the way that he wants them to go early in the season. So like, I, I think it's underrated the idea that Waddle could be better than Tyreek this year, even if they're both healthy. I just came up right now with, uh, I'm actually going to get a fourth. Um, three, no, three. Three teams in recent memory that had two 1,000-yard receivers. Uh, I'm going to look at the Seahawks in 2020. DK Metcalf, 1,300. Tyler Lockett, 1,054. Remember, this is all going to be 16 games. Uh, number three on the team was David Moore with 417 yards. How about the Cleveland Browns? I, keep, I just remember this because I kept bringing it up with Baker Mayfield. Cleveland Browns in 2019... Jarvis Landry had almost 1,200 yards. Odell Beckham was over 1,000 yards. Kareem Hunt was third on the team with 285 yards. And then this one's a little bit more uh, uh, more evenly distributed. The Rams in 2019 had Cooper Cup and Robert Woods both go over 1,100 yards. And Tyler Higbee had 734 yards. And that was a really good year for golf. They threw for almost 4,700 yards, 22 touchdowns. But uh, my, my point here is... Uh, I do not understand what people are expecting from Mike Asiki and why they like him. Because well, if those guys are going to go over 1,000 yards, the number three guy is not going to put up a big number unless two is going to win the MVP. You could use more recent example, like the Bengals last year. Jamar Chase had 1,400, Higgins had almost 1,100, and Tyler Boyd had 800. Yeah, that's not very good. Well, if Gasicki has 800 yards, it's going to be very good. Nah, not really. It's it's really not. <laughs> 800 yards in 17 games, it's not even 50 yards a game. It's fine. It's streamable. He'd have to make up for it in touchdowns. But how many people are drafting Gusecki as a number one tenant? I feel like he is. Uh, uh, I don't know. I feel like he's in that discussion at the end. I didn't want to make this about Gusecki. Well, once you get past like the top ten guys, everybody's kind of in the discussion, I, right? I, I don't even think he should be, personally. But um, I guess I guess it's just such, so bad at that point. He's tight end 11 in uh, in Fantasy Pros PPR ADP, ahead of Fryermuth, ahead of um, Cole Komet. And maybe it's just maybe that this is a topic for another show, but maybe this is why you don't want to wait that long for tight end. But uh, that's just the way I see it. Anyway, I, I like greater late. You, <laughs> but th- that's the thing. Gasicki is not part of the late strategy for me. Is he for you? Where do you guys have him? Yeah, he absolutely is. How? How? If, if you got if you both wide receivers are going over a thousand yards and Chase Edmonds is involved in the passing, like what is left for Gasicki? How does he pull it off? I mean, again, it's it's more the player and and the situation. So, you talk about excuses. If, I mean, we make excuses for Gasicki all the time. What but, has he but, done? But that's the reason why, for me, he's not tight end eleven, and the the reason why I would only take him if he's late. You uh, you have him twelfth, Dave seventeenth, Heath fifteenth. Uh, but um, you do have Komet ahead of him at ten. Yeah, I mean, it's like Irv Smith is behind Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and maybe KJ Osborne. And and Zach Ertz, after six weeks, is probably behind DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown. And Gerald Everett's behind Mike Williams and Ken Allen. Pat Fryermuth is behind Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and Najee Harris. Like, That's why I like Komet like and Knox. Yeah? 
Knox is behind well, like 12 What guys. are you talking about? Knox, Knox is not Knox behind. Is Knox, guys. Knox is not. That's the thing. You don't know that. He has the potential to be ahead. Of, he has the potential for more targets than you guys give him credit for. You don't know that he's going to be that low. Based in the on board. what? The 50 that he had last year? <laughs> they had Cole Beasley and they had Emmanuel Sanders. What do they have and now? now? They have Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder. Or, come or, on now. Uh, Jamison Crowder. Khalil Horford. <laughs> <laughs> Khalil Shakir. I, I mean, I obviously like Komet better, but. What if O.J. Howard's better than Dawson Knox? That the, la- the last report we got on O.J. Howard was was not good at all. Um, all right, sorry for the detour there. Would, would There's you, questions on all those guys. Absolutely, 100%, 100%. Who you should really like is Evan Ingram. Oh, please. He could be first on his team in targets. <laughs> Literally might be. Marquise Brown, Jamie. Marquise Brown is uh, the last guy you want to talk about. So, all right, what's, this, what's the difficulty here? I mean, it, it's, it feels like we're ranking a six-game season for Marquise Brown. <laughs> like it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's, it's so fascinating because he could be better than DeAndre Hopkins and you know, certainly be worth ranking as a top 20 receiver and drafting him that high. Um, but this, <laughs> there's that situation looming when DeAndre Hopkins comes back. He just pointed it out. You know, Zach Ertz is still there. Um, Cliff Kingsbury keeps talking a lot about Rondell Moore and his role. Uh, we don't even say AJ Green's name, um, but he's still on the team. Uh, they throw to James Conner. You know, it's there's a lot of mouths to feed here. And so, yes, that six games could be amazing for what Marquise Brown gives you. But what the hell that's going to happen in week seven and beyond? That's the, the majority of the season there. So, you know, I mean, Hopkins was a shell of himself last year, battled through injuries, and and is missing six games. But if he's anything close to the DeAndre Hopkins we know, man, it's going to be tough for Marquise Brown to be fantastic from week seven on. It is tough. So Mooney or, or Marquise Brown? Right now it's Brown, but I struggle with it. I have Mooney higher. How about Allen Robinson or Marquise Brown? Robinson. Brown for me. So you like... Marquise Brown see more than Jamie does, Heath? I have him 25th, I think. 24th or 25th, maybe 23rd. Borderline number two. I think he could be a top 12 wide receiver the first six weeks of the season and then maybe a number three the rest of the way. So how do you rank that? <laughs> I mean, that's basically like, you know what it feels like it could be? Like Mike Williams last year. Yeah, well, don't get Heath started on Mike Williams. That, that That's going to be a bigger tangent <laughs> than Mike Kosicki. Oh. Yeah. Well, Dave is really the high guy on uh It'd be awesome Marquise if he was Mike Brown. Williams last year. It, w- it would be for four weeks, yeah. Or five. It'd be awesome for the last eight as well. No. Dave has Marquise Brown 17th in his PBR. Yeah, I can't do that. Yeah, he really likes Marquise Brown. Well, you remember, what was the draft that we did? Was was it last week the, or the last uh, live one I did with you? Where Dave took Marquise Brown like in round three and he was like, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then he regretted it. <laughs> and like... Two rounds later, he was like, "Why did I do that?" I should. You know I have who to you should pair up too. is Marquise Brown and Amari Cooper. You can start Marquise Brown the first six games and then start Amari Cooper after that. Maybe Are you assuming Watson back. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I have to correct myself on Jalen Waddle's ADP. I said end of the round four. It's more on Fantasy Pros. It's forty-one, so that's mid round four. And on yeah. NFC, in the last almost three weeks, it's thirty-third or thirty-fourth. I don't get it. I think some of those are probably dynasty drafts, but I've got him 43rd, so I'm I'm there with fantasy pros, slightly behind, I guess. But okay, okay, um, that's gonna do it for today's show. We'll read your emails later this week. We'll have a mailbag tomorrow. Jacob Gibbs coming on for some advanced stats. Remember to tune in at 1 p.m. Eastern for our live stream, our non PPR 12 team draft. And uh, for Jamie and Heath, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you tomorrow on fantasy football today. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... 
The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.